Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and we're also recording for Podcast 360 on YouTube. So I'm going to try to talk, look at the camera, and think at the same time. This is some serious multitasking here for me, so forgive me if I stumble. But I wanted to bring a, a solo podcast forward, and this is one that was a little bit last minute, but it's based on a real case that I had in the emergency department here in the past week that really applies to recent MCHD continuing education program, Q2, uh, 2021, and illustrates, I think, to some of the medics out there listening, that we as emergency physicians run into some of the same problems that y'all do when you catch resistance. And what do I mean by that? Well, we talked with Captain Travis Clay recently on the podcast about therapeutic momentum, and it's really tough when we as the emergency providers, whether you're the paramedic or the emergency physician, have that sense of urgency, patient advocacy. We really think the patient needs to go to the OR or go to the CT scanner or go to the cath lab. They need an emergent intervention, an emergent procedure that we as the paramedic or we as the emergency physician can't do without someone else's help. And when we catch this resistance, it's a real, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's, it's a roadblock and you've got to really figure out how you're going to tactic, you know, tactfully and tactically navigate that situation and not stick your foot in your mouth, not be a jerk, not be a blowhard. And realistically, over my career, I've learned this a lot by mistake. And I've been that jerk. I've raised my voice. And realistically, if you want a surgeon or a cardiologist or an emergency physician or emergency nurse to do something for you, the last thing you want to do is turn into that blowhard or jerk. Because in the end, you may feel better about it short term, but your patient's not going to get the intervention that they need. You're probably making it less likely and probably introducing delays. So this is a sort of a twofold patient management and acute occlusion MI case story. What did we talk about in Q2CE here at MCHD for all the non-listeners? We talked about the change from STEMI paradigm, in STEMI paradigm, to occlusion MI, non-occlusion MI. And if you're not familiar, there's uh, a group of emergency physicians, uh, cardiologists out there, really led by Dr. Stephen Smith from up at Hennepin and, and some other, other folks who really feel like the use of STEMI as marker for acute coronary occlusion is flawed. And, you know, this began back in the Back in the 90s with the advent of thrombolytics and, you know, cardiac catheterization technology. And the whole point is we want to use an EKG finding to find out when acute occlusion is present in the coronary arteries. And Dr. Smith and some of his colleagues and some of his um, partners believe that there are other EKG findings that are not classic ST elevation defined that also represent acute occlusion. And he feels like that we should broaden our toolbox and really start to recognize some of these other findings. And what are those? And we talked about those in CE, posterior MI pattern, the winter's T waves, hyperacute T waves, dark fin pattern, pathologic Q waves, you know, scarbosa in bundle branch blocks and pace patterns, some, some other entities that aren't STEMIs, but do, rec do represent acute occlusion. Because in the end, we are so honed in on ST elevation when, in all honesty, we should be honed in on acute occlusion 
because that's who benefits from emergent catheterization. So presentation during May, uh, CE here at MCHD was well received. It was a good review for me as an emergency physician because, you know, I was trained in the STEMI paradigm, just like a lot of the older listeners out there. And some of these, you know, DeWinter's T's and hyperacute T's, some of these are, are relatively new uh, for me. And I was working in emergency department shift just a couple of weeks ago, and the waiting room was backed up out the door, belly pain, chest pain, headache, all kinds of stuff waiting out there. My beds were all filled with admitted patients. I couldn't get anything done. It was a just a total quagmire. I was miserable. It was a night shift. And the triage uh, nurse from out front brought me an EKG back and said, hey, this guy just checked in with chest pain. And I did the quick glance down and there was no STEMI. And so I got ready to sign it. And I did a double take. Thought, Wait a minute. Those are hyperacute T's. 100%. I said, what's, what's he here for? She said, well, he's got chest pressure. I said, how old is he? 59. Does he have any medical problems? He doesn't go to the doctor. I'm like, oh, he needs to come back and come back now. And he had as you can see on the EKG overlay, and we'll link it in the show notes for the podcast listeners, obvious hyperacute T waves in the precordial leads. T wave amplitude greater than QRS amplitude. It was really a slam dunk. And I knew this, this was acute ischemia as soon as I walked in the room. When did your pain start? 3 a.m. It was about 5 at that point. What were you doing? Nothing. I was getting up, getting ready to go to work. Nothing active. How's it feel? It was a tightness, and he literally squeezed his chest, Levine sign, like for real, actually. Does it radiate? Yeah, it actually goes, goes across my chest into both shoulders. And if you look at the literature, radiation to both shoulders and both arms is more concerning and a higher likelihood ratio for acute ischemia as compared to the left even. Anything go along with it? Do you have any other symptoms? Yeah, I got, I got really sick to my stomach and I broke out in a sweat. It was like he read from the book. I have acute ischemia, ACS, this is the real deal. Do you have any medical problems? I don't see a doctor. Again, 59-year-old male, little overweight, you smoke? Yep. Ever had a stress test? No, like I said, I don't see a doctor. What's your pain level right now? Seven out of 10. And so I'm looking at this EKG and I think this is acute ischemia. So I have him repeat a second one. I get nitro and some fentanyl and some aspirin ordered. And I go back out to the secretary and I'm like, hey, we need to call the cardiologist. I didn't activate the cath lab, probably should have in retrospect, because there wasn't a STEMI. I mean, they didn't, it didn't qualify. And you can see from the EKG. Called the cardiologist. Cardiologist answers the phone. I give him the story. I say, you know, I know this is not true STEMI, but these T waves are clearly hyperacute. I think this is representative of acute occlusion. He's got a great story. You know, I repeated a second one in the interim before I called cardiology. There's, as you can see from EKG one to EKG two, some of the ST depression deepens especially inferiorly and laterally. So there's dynamic change. Like it all adds up to acute ischemia. I mean, it's a perfect puzzle. And of course, what's the cardiologist ask? What was the troponin? And I almost, uh, I wanted to get so upset because the first troponin was negative. Well, pain started at three. He presented at five. He'd only had pain for two hours. This was a real acute onset event. And it's acute vascular event, just like we talk about. So he hem-hawed and sighed and beat around the bush. And he said, you know, I think this is LVH. There was not impressive LVH. This, you know, clearly dynamic change, clearly hyperacute T waves. Okay. I knew I was right. This was acute occlusion. And so he he hedged, you know, 530 in the morning. Can you get another troponin in, in 90 minutes, two hours and call me back? Well, of course, I'm not calling him back. I'm calling his partner back because he'll be off call and the call will change at seven in the morning. My shift ended at 
at, at seven. So I'm staying over now, waiting around for a second troponin because I knew this guy needed to go to the lab. And this is a spot that I know medics find themselves in. I'm sure I've been guilty of being on the other side. And this is the, the proverbial stonewall right? The resistance that we hate as emergency providers. We get that therapeutic momentum rolling forward. We know the patient needs the OR, the CAT scanner, the cath lab. They need someone to help with an emergent intervention, whether that's an ED doc, an ED nurse from the medic standpoint, whether it's the cardiologist or the surgeon or the orthopod right on down the line for the emergency physician. And this is where we have to be tactful. We have to, you know, tactically choose our words and choose our tone. And young New ER doc, Dr. Patrick, would have probably lost his, lost his mind and used terrible condescending tone, been a jerk, raised his voice, you know, plus or minus some, some cursing in there. And I would have probably had, you know, a, a professionalism call the next day and a meeting with my medical director. And, I, and admittedly, I, I thought about just losing it. I was like, you know, I'm right here. The patient's going to suffer. But in the end, if you want someone to do something for you, the, the least effective way is to yell and be a blowhard. Because in the end, you're just getting yourself in trouble and you're going to delay what the patient needs because they're going to be even more resistant to you. So I took a big, deep breath and I said, well, OK, that sounds good. I'm going to try to get him pain free and I'll, I think I'm going to call you back when the troponin's positive. And I kind of made a joke out of it and I wasn't a jerk. And he said, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Let me know if it, it if it evolves. So I repeated some EKGs and I got him again, fentanyl and nitro and aspirin. And I got his pain coming down and I got him comfortable. I decided in my mind that if his pain hadn't responded to nitro and fentanyl and, and aspirin and, and pain management in the ED, that I was just going to activate the cath lab based on persistent pain, which is reasonable. So I got him pain free and the second troponin, of course, came back positive and the patient got admitted to the cardiology service and got cath at around noon, I think noon or 1 p.m. So from time of presentation, there was about a, a seven or eight hour delay. And he had a 100% occluded LAD and a 90% occluded RCA. So in the end, I was right. Never heard from the cardiologist again. No, no call back to, hey, hey man, good call. Of course not, that never happens. Uh, but just for the medic listeners out there, you know, it's a good lesson. And I, I wanted to, to let y'all know that sometimes I'm in your boat and sometimes the subspecialists in the hospital don't do what we want them to do either. So what do we have to do? We have to back up and be good patient advocates the best that we can with the cards we're dealt. So what did I say to myself? Okay, plan A is cath. Couldn't happen. Couldn't make it happen. Tried my best. I can't cath him. I'm not a cardiologist. So what's plan B? Get him pain-free. If I can get him pain-free, that's the best sign that active infarction is not continuing. So I got in there. Repeat the EKGs. Do what the cardiologist asks. You know, I, I stepped back in the patient's room probably 10 times over the next hour. You know, how's your pain? How are you doing? You know, continued patient advocacy. And he ended up getting, getting taken care of, and his outcome was fine. You know, he didn't go into a VT arrest. He didn't end up with a balloon pump or an, an AICD or some other you know, bad uh, long-term prognosis from this. But in the end, it truly was ischemia. And I had to, you know, navigate that with some tact. And I guess over 15 years, I've learned from my mistakes uh, that, you know, being a blowhard often isn't, isn't the best way to approach it. So from the personality side, that's how I navigated those turns. What about the hyperacute T waves? How do we recognize hyperacute T waves? What are they? How do we define them? And realistically, there's no clear definition of what a hyperacute T wave is. Most of the time, they're going to be more prominent pre-quarterly. Um, normal size T waves are less than a half millivolt in the limb leads, 
less than a full millivolt in the precordial leads. Uh, one of the things that can help you is the T wave to QRS ratio. And realistically, anytime the T wave amplitude is greater than the QRS amplitude, that should concern you. Um, in some of the review articles that I looked at, they used a ratio of uh, 75%. So even if it's not quite as big, you know, not quite as much amplitude in the T wave as the QRS, if the T wave amplitude is 75% of the QRS amplitude, anything greater than that should be concerning. Uh, so that's just some, some kind of tidbits there for you to file away. And as you can look in, in the EKGs in this case, the T waves were you know, as big or bigger than the QRS complexes. What, what other things can you look for? You can look for uh, V1. V1, the T wave should for the most part be flat or negative. If you see a positive T wave in V1, that should be concerning for a hyperacute T wave. And anytime V1 is greater than V6, that should also be concerning. That should not happen unless you've got ischemia going on. Uh, what, what's your differential when you see hyperacute T waves? Again, hyperkalemia is on that list always, but the patient presentation should be different there. Right? The T waves in ischemia should be broad-based, in hyperkalemia, narrow-based, tall T waves. But how is a hyperkalemic patient going to present? They're going to present with weakness, nausea, I miss my dialysis, DKA, elevated blood sugar, vomiting. You know, that's not someone clutching their chest with chest pressure, radiating to both shoulders, and diaphoresis. That's not the presentation of hyperkalemia. So you got to put the patient with the EKG. Uh, benign early repolarization can have hyperacute T waves, myopericarditis. You can get really bizarre T waves at times with intracerebral hemorrhage, uh, hemorrhagic stroke. So those are some other things to consider in your diagnosis, your differential diagnosis. But again, if you're thinking ischemia, how's the patient going to present? Not with headache, you know, like a, like a cerebral T wave, not with nausea, vomiting, weakness. I missed my dialysis for a week. They're going to present with acute chest pain. So put the patient with the EKG, look for that QRS amplitude, compare it to the T wave amplitude. And if that T wave's as big as the QRS or pretty darn close, we should be concerned, especially if it's associated with other signs of ischemia infarction ischemia and infarction like ST depression and other flip T waves elsewhere in the EKG. Just like in these two serial EKGs, you see the deepening of that ST depression. That's dynamic change. That's a slam dunk for ischemia every time. So just a little review on hyperacute T waves, discussion about, you know, medics aren't the only one that get the stonewall, sometimes us ER docs too. So for all you medics out there listening, especially you older MCHD medics who've taken, uh, probably some crap from me that's uh, for sure not deserved. When I had bad nights in the ED, I'm issuing my blanket apology now and telling everybody I'm sorry for being a jerk. We get it on our end too. So again, what do you concentrate on? Concentrating on the patient and being the best patient advocate that you can be. EKGs linked in the show notes for all you non-watchers out there. Uh, some review articles and discussions about the acute occlusion MI non-occlusion MI paradigm shift also linked. So if you have any questions there, you can look and see where some of this literature and some of this data comes from. As always, if you have questions or concerns, please hit us up at the podcast email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. 
Leave us a like or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. We love it. We like good reviews. So hit us up for five stars. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.